pressure from Thomas off the edge. Eli Manning airs it out down the field. It is caught by Tyree. Oh my God. This ball's thrown and Tyree just goes up for it like a basketball player. Harrison trying to knock it down. That's a great catch by David Tyree. Welcome to Catch the Moment Podcast. I am not your host, but I am Leila Tyree. And today we have something really special. We are celebrating. It's been over a year of doing podcasts, catching the moment with our valuable guests. And today we're going to do a little something different. I'm going to be interviewing my beloved, Mr. David Tyree. Who me? Yes, who, you. Who me? Yes. Who me? Well, welcome. I do feel welcome. How does it feel to be at the orange table as a as an official guest? I know we've done <laughs> things before, but you know, I'm hosting today. I'm a guest. I'm the host. That's the guest. This is what marriage looks like. <laughs> <laughs> This is what marriage looks like. We have like. to make sure that, you know, <laughs> you know, he might feel instances of takeover, you know? Yeah, listen, man, let, <laughs> this is 19 years we rolling up on around yes. here. Y'all don't play, y'all. I just want y'all to know. She want to make sure she knows that I'm not the host today. Yes. And listen, <laughs> we're at this orange table. We are both CUSE alumni. So shout out to Syracuse University, class of 02. We did do that thing. Didn't we do it? I picked it off at 99, y'all. Smooth. Fantastic. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. So today, what I really wanted to highlight, probably a few months back, David, you spoke about the transition toolbox. I did. Do you remember that? Fun. We had some fun. Hopefully, it was beneficial to Yes. And you yeah. talked about being adaptable. You talked about humility. You talked about being pliable and curious. Mm-hmm. Right? That those are all... Tools qualities, yeah. and qualities that you should have in your little toolbox. Mm -hmm. And so I really wanted to highlight because obviously as your wife, I've had the opportunity to uh, endure <laughs> many transitions. Listen to the words. Listen, <laughs> Listen to the words. <laughs> but we've gone through quite a few transitions yeah. in our life and we in have. our journey. And I kind of just wanted to highlight some Moments, yeah, some like, moments in our own life. Listen, we got a lot this year. It, it, well, listen, there's not enough time today, but we're going to get into a few. I'm going to touch on a few. We're going to okay. jump around a little bit because I tend to be a little, what I call scatterbrained. Don't worry. We owe y'all a couple books, but, you know, <laughs> y'all help us out. <laughs> right. It's my coming writer. Any writers, holler at us. Ghost writers. Ghost writers, holler at us. Yes. Because we tired. <laughs> we'll tell you the story, but we tired. I hear you. So, let's begin. Mm-hmm. Because I tend to, you know, be chronological in my approach. Oh, very strategic. <laughs> yeah, she's, I tend a better, to be. she's a better interviewer, y'all, but this, this would be good. Okay, so, but I want to talk about what your transition was like from uh, high school football to college football. That was the uh, most, especially as an athlete, the most difficult transition. Really? Yeah. Why? The intensity of the, the football experience first. Um, not knowing what to expect, the caliber of athletes. Excellent. And then the other layer that kind of adds to it, of course, is being away from home for the first time. Mm. So, you know, and 
You were freedom. Remember, you were used Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's still, I mean, like, it's just, I enjoyed it. Don't get me wrong. I, but oh, I know you have fun. It's, you know, like, everything is, <laughs> when I say everything new is difficult, right? So I kind of, you know, people who've been around me, they, they hear me say that. Anything that is new has this, you know, you know reality of that is diff- difficult. And I had never been away from home, never been away from Jersey. First time, three and a half hours up in Syracuse. But getting thrown into the fire in training camp, being a you know you know well recruited athlete right and now you you the bottom of the bottom you know like when I say you me yeah so you, so you get in now yeah. at the time yeah I know we had uh, Donovan McNabb he was doing his thing freshman year Donovan McNabb was still there so that was I mean like you know Syracuse was at the t- top of the food yes. chain in college football around the time and but Quentin Spotwood was a preseason All American Kevin Johnson was. Uh, ended up being, I think, a, you know, All-American as a wide receiver, two wide receivers. They just had talent through the kazoo, um, especially at my position. And, you know, they sell you some, they sell you some good stuff recruiting. Of course. But honestly, I was just not ready um, physically and even more so mentally because most of the game as an athlete, you'll find out becomes mental. And, um, you know, they had like, hey, man, you got to catch it 90%. I was ca- wow. You got to catch I was catching like 70-something percent. Right. Hands was, you know average right and you know it was just that that reality that I could not process and play at the speed at that point coming into training camp as a freshman you know what was that moment where did you kind of shift gears yeah well the first part is when you get redshirted that's the that's the (laughs) (laughs) yeah but even when you get redshirted that seemed like I get it you're on the bench for the year but but kind of like how do you prepare like well, <clears throat> once that final decision, because it's like a final decision, right? Because it's like, you're not playing at all this year. So you go from being this high expectation performer and you're kind of in a dungeon and you're, you're just on the <laughs> shelf. You practice and you shelf. get no reward. I like that. Right? So you do the work and you get no reward. So you're out, you're, you're, you're in practice. Well, you Every single day grinding with the team, but you don't get a chance to play. You sit there and you watch the game. So that feeds at you. That, that really burns something in you. you know, That's good. So you got to wait. Yeah, you got to. Mm. But you practice. You practice. But you don't play. And you, don't, you do not play. So they reserve a year for your quote unquote development because you are not ready. And sometimes, for pe- some people might be physical. Some, most of us is mental or a combination. But short story, the process, it really allows you to be, at some point, you just got to learn how to deal with difficult conclusions, things that are out of your control. Right. And control what you can control. So you get, I got very early practice at that, 18 years old. I would never choose this in my life, but I'm here. What am I going to do? Right. I'm going to train harder. Every, every waking moment that I have, I'm going to pour into improving the experience and that kind of rolls into your mindset moving forward. So what made it so, so difficult was the quality of the experience at the high school to the quality of experience at, at, at division one, a football, it was night and day. Gotcha. I mean, like it was night and day from athletes. It was night and day from preparation and expectation mm. and, it was like, whoa, head spin. Then you have the student component. And then you have the student right? component. And this is why I'm kind of like, you know, you know, I guess athletes, there's there's a lot of different ideas that you could formulate around a student athlete. Yes. But you actually have to be pretty dynamic. I was thinking the same thing. Yeah, like, you know, it's like every kid goes to college with a goal. And the, reality, the student athlete, especially the scholarship student athlete, 
has two, two responsibilities. He has two full-time responsibilities and one they're actually paying you for. The other is the, by virtue of performing right. well, you get a chance to, so it's almost like the academic side is actually um, the inferior responsibility right. just by virtue of the fact that you're here because you're an athlete. So, you know, it's, um, but it's an honor. Like I said, it's an honor. It's a unique opportunity. It was a great, but it was the most difficult transition. Awesome. See, that's something I learned. I didn't even know that. <laughs> I didn't even know that. 19 years. That's good. 20, 24. That's really good. That's yeah. awesome. So moving forward, now you do your four years at Syracuse. Mm-hmm. And then you, um, any other major transitions before you get to the NFL? Yes, there is. Become- what was it like becoming a father? <laughs> becoming a father? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I mean, what was the transition like? Meaning like, okay, from not a father to a father. Be honest, because you know I'm going to tell y'all the truth. Yeah. I was there. Yeah, terrifying. You know, it's, it's absolutely terrifying. Now, what was scary? I think there was a space, you know, and, and this is part of our story. I had an abortion as a teenager, you know, 14 years old, 15 years old, first girlfriend, um, crazy, irresponsible. And that was a decision, you know, we made um, that... You even regret, even though I didn't even have like this conscience toward God, you just have these what ifs, right. even as a teenager. Um, you get to college, one of my teammates, Quentin Harris, you know, um, up for a GM role pretty soon here. Whoop, whoop. And he was in college with a daughter. And so when you see him, you know, you have those feelings, but here you are, 21, you know, you're free. You know, you're happy to be free. You know, your life is your own as a selfish yes. young man. But these are like, you know, weighty experiences when you look back. And now you're pregnant in college. And this is like, we all got our own, you know, you know, big pimping, spin the cheese, futures, we all, you know, this is going on. It's not, <laughs> that's what's really happening. It's like, and all of a sudden, your world stops. You deliver this news. And I was not courageous enough, but I was, I wanted to be supportive. You know, it's like, I think there's two individuals that it, obviously it affects. I didn't have this strong stance to say, you ain't going to kill my baby. But um, I was certainly was, was going to be supportive um, regardless of the decision that you came to. So that's kind of what I remember. Mm-hmm. I knew I wasn't, I wasn't going to shirk it, but I certainly was terrified at whatever was going to come. Now, what about when he came? <laughs> that's the transition, really. It's kind of like, okay, you have well, fi- the, the physical individual first, in front fir- of you. First, there's just, you know, growing up, Without my father in the home, there it, it kind of gives an added layer of motivation because you don't know what to do. I remember Damn. I started. I, I remember I started. <laughs> I, remember, I end up in an airport. It's scary because you've never done it. You've never done it. You're like, <laughs> like this is a whole human. This yes. is a whole human being. This is terrible. I know when you really think about that. And at the time, you know, I'm a functional alcoholic. I mean, like, yes. mean, like I drink every weekend, and it's just like. You, you think about all that you need to stop what, what being a real man is. Even, even though it's incomplete at the time at 21, mm-hmm. you know that there's certain things that I don't want to reflect in myself. Right, right, right. Based on who I was. <clears throat> and it's just, you know, it's, it's, just, it's all that in your head. And, and I think when he got here, I think it, it, it settled. You know, it was actually... More the anxiety oh, okay. before. I got you. It's settled because he's here and he's real and I love this guy. Yes. And as much as 
those fears kind of somewhat quenched, you feel to the task. Now that it's real and it's here, I'm going to do my best. Mm-hmm. Um, I, but I, I'll never forget being in the airport and getting a James Dobson bringing up boys book. I read it. I don't even know if I finished it, but I read most of it. It was really good, impactful. Right. Um, because I think that was the first time where I say it was the most impactful experience in my life that changed the trajectory of my entire life because I no longer became the center of my world. I was no longer the center of my Mm. world, creating a life for him that would be is optimal because I never thought about the NFL until you were pregnant with the Taylor. So it was transformative. It was life changing. And um, I had a vision for my future because of him. So, In light of the transition toolbox, right? Mm-hmm. Tell me in what way, if we if we look at the pliability, mm-hmm. in what way did you have to become pliable as a man now becoming a father? Well, so it was other it was other voices involved. <laughs> Again, you know, like especially mm-hmm. me, and I think most young men just self self centered. Whether even mm-hmm. if it's in the best way, you know, like an athlete has to have a very narrow lens to be successful. And that has, that will be selfish. And I think people Mm -hmm. have to, the relationships have to be supportive and understanding that narrow lens and be supportive of that to kind of everybody to be okay with it. But it is selfish outside of, you know, um, an understanding. And I think the pliability came with understanding that I can no longer be that way. I had to consider you. Right. I had to consider this, you know, what was best for him and that was living arrangements. That was, should we get married? That was, you know, feeding the baby, changing the diaper. Yes. Though, that's probably what pliability looked like, you know, early on and understanding, okay, I'm going to have to consider you and what you others. think. Yeah, others. You know, I think that was the, the primary way. So I'm going to skip your transition into the league because you, so did that, there, you did that with flying colors. Really? I was a loser off the field, though. I mean, yeah, yeah but, that's, but that's different. That's a different story. No, it's all good. The transition to not being a loser off the field comes later. <laughs> yeah. It comes later. Yeah. But I want to, I actually want to go to basically when you get the news. I'll, I'll never forget. I think we were at, we were at, what was it, a 99.1 like Christian festival. <laughs> I'll never forget it. Star 99. We were with Nelson Diaz and Evelyn Diaz. Really? Or maybe I was. And you call me and you say, I just been let go by the Giants. Mm-hmm. What? First of all, I need you to tell me. One is, were you expecting it? I was definitely prepared for it. I was very much prepared for it. I considered my performance. <clears throat> um, I've always been sober about my performances, you know, like high standard and sober about, as I learned a little bit in the NFL pretty quickly, a person in my position and how quickly they can be expendable. Mm-hmm. So based on my performance, the injuries and the training camp, it was likely, it was likely it okay. was, it was very, it would have been a sentimental keep. It would, you know right, what I'm saying? Right, 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 right. They would have had to love me and just really trust me. Yeah. Not, I didn't earn it. Like, I got you. On the merit of my training kit. I need you to give me the backdrop of uh-huh. where you were, how it happened, what was said, 
And literally, even though you know they're going to say it, what did it feel like when they said it? So give me the backdrop first, because I just threw a lot at you. But Yeah, I mean, I was definitely home, and I, I'm pretty sure I wasn't. I was by myself, so you must have been somewhere I was, else. I was. I was at that and, um praising the and Lord. For me, like I said, it wasn't, Playbook wasn't at home. I'm, you know, at the time, we live in Wayne, New Jersey, and it's like, hey, man, um, need you to come in. Who called you? Yeah, I don't even know. I really, it's probably some, some random dude who could have been in personnel. I really don't even know. Uh, could have been wide, wide receiver coach, Mike Sullivan. Can't even remember. Um, just knew I got called in and I knew what time it was. So I think from that standpoint, just... And, and, oh, they called you to come to the facility? Yeah, because I was home. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I'm at the crib. So I'm like, it's not, you know, um, you, you get through practices, coaches do all the evaluations. I've been on the other side. <laughs> and, you know, it's kind of like you make it through the weekend, you you probably good. I didn't make it through the weekend. So, <clears throat> yeah, you got first wave of cuts, and then there's second wave of cuts, right. so second wave of cuts, final roster cuts, I'm, I'm done. And, yeah, you, you kind of, like, know more or less what time it is. Um, meet with your wide receiver coach. You're just meeting with, your, you know, you're meeting with the people. Mm -hmm. And um, it, I can probably just remember meeting with my wide receiver coach, head coach, and eventually GM. All of them are just, you know, like, mind you, we're too, you know, we're, a year, a year plus move from the Super Bowl. And I've been a giant for six years. So it's one of those, this is the last thing we want to have to share with this guy. Right, right. And, um, but for me, I, I just, I knew. I was kind of mentally prepared. It very much sucked in my soul, but I also didn't have anything to fret. Like, I guess I had confidence in God that there was going to be more beyond this. I had confidence that I had given my best in relation to what I could control. So I just kind of went there understanding that this was a business transaction. Let me smile. I will say I can remember Jerry Reese because I was, I was having these um, soft tissue issues mm -hmm. and boy, you're talking about a dumb decision that I made. I think, you know, when you're kind of in an injured position, there's, there could be some compensation for like, they might cover you on some compensation for a few weeks. So say it took two or three weeks to cover right. you. There's like a little settlement. I like turning away the settlement because I didn't even because I'm because I was dumb. I didn't understand exactly what it meant. All I wanted to do was move on, and mm. it's kind of one of the lessons that yes. I get a chance to you know like understanding the the business right. Yes. Like I was never interested in the business of my sport. I just went about my job. Mm -hmm. And there were just certain things that were tied to your experience that you should know, understand, and fully take advantage of, whether it's from your benefits to what you're entitled to as an injured athlete, et cetera, et cetera. I so just wanted to move on, get healthy, and get back to work. And that's kind of just your mindset. It's almost like a reflex. Right. And I know that some of it is how we deal with rejection. Yes. You know, like, I know I learned that more about myself um, a little bit later it's almost like a reflex to just move on and not fully process and understand the whole experience. Mm -hmm. And that was, that was, that was something that I'm like, man, and I had to kind of like really, you know, eventually face it and kind of the emotional pain of that rejection and what that was like. And so, um, but so it, I do remember, um, I mean, obviously the, the, 
the news gets a hold of it because oh, that's yeah. just what it is. New York and, Post and the Daily New York news. Post. Yeah, they just they have this spread from a hero to a zero. Yeah. You know I wanted to fight somebody. <laughs> like, you know. I from the boogie down. Yeah. Headlines. Get ready but, for it. I mean, really, I mean, how did how did that impact you? Is, so like again, like, think you, about it. Two years ago, you you're you're on the cover, or we're 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 in New York at the New York at the parade, 100%. and it's all gravy. I'm and now I'm on top of the like at the, at the height change. of it. Yeah, at the height of it, it it's real. So you know, like, and I'm not not, to, but obviously this injury, the injury that I had, I was working to overcome, came about a month and a half after the Super Bowl. I can't I can't. So you're talking about a year plus journey of injuries and disappointments and et cetera, et cetera. So at this stage, you're always hopeful. You're always believing. You're always working toward that kind of expected in. And it was a closure moment that I was trying to get to whatever was next. And I think um, when, the, when the headlines hit, you're trained to tune out that stuff. You're trained not to give attention. Like you don't really read much. You see it mm-hmm. and... Obviously, it's not the first time that you get bad reviews or, you know, it's now first time I've been a headline of that nature, but it makes sense for New York City. So, like, when you see these things, you've seen your teammates go through them. You've seen the head coaches go through them. If this, this was just my time. And um, <laughs> now, the interesting part was the moment, right? And this is a cool story because Justin Fatika... Um, was a great friend of mine, you know, Orange Table. He was up in Syracuse. He has this HBO documentary, Hard as Nails. He's this Catholic evangelist who's like Mm -hmm. radical. And right around that time, I'm, you know, like I said, I'm at the, I'm on, I don't know if it was that weekend, the next weekend we have him over and he sees that, he sees that, that headline and I'm, I'm, I'm straight in my own mind. And it was, it was like this moment of, man, that I had to face it and dig deeper, in, you know, pause in, <laughs> in relation to what was really going on internally. And this five, six, five, eight, I don't know how tall Justin is. He sees this headline and he just stares me in the eyes like, I know it hurts. And like, baby blue eyes, like, I know it hurts. <laughs> I know it hurts. And I'm like, who are you? <laughs> You went Rocky? Yeah, he you just felt like and, a Rocky Lockridge on the inside. Yeah, yeah. it was it was literally <laughs> yes. like that. And, and and as much as it was his intensity forced me to really yes. give opportunity <laughs> to say, like, man, the whole city, or the the you know, and I know the whole city yeah. didn't really do, but it's like just like that. Yes. You are yesterday, you are zero. Yes. in the eyes of people for clicks and right. ticks and likes so, you know like that was it wasn't really yeah. the internet that wasn't social media era like that but just like that and and and, it, and I did something broke in me in, in relation to understanding you do need to give space to process it mm-hmm. you know like I, I didn't cry but my heart ripped open in a way where you know what you need to be more acquainted with process you feel like that was Really, honestly, a moment of humility. I don't. I don't know if it was humility more than it was honesty, and I think you know. But doesn't that humble you? You know what the, I mean. It brings you think, low. Like it, it's, it's a moment where you're like, oh wow. Like, well, people who don't matter, don't. I don't give a, that greater weight and concern to, 
Meaning like, so because these are writers who don't, like, people who matter really matter. Like my wife, my friends, my family, the people in the body of Christ, the people, their words, like when, when they come mm -hmm. with that, with those, with those critiques, right. it really crushes. When the world with very little merit kind of comes in and invades. But like I said, I think from actually facing the reality that because we do like to be celebrated and honored and for our efforts, our yes. contributions, our, that's a real thing. And, and if we can have impact and influence in a way where it impacts a city, a community, et cetera, but when it turns the other way, you know, how does that feel? And right. I think I was forced to deal with it emotionally more than it was like humiliating I think it was just like, man, that, that did hurt. Right. That that hurt. Right. That hurt. And um, I know it wasn't real in a sense of, because the love from the sports community is, is deep oh, yeah. in, in, in New York. They're you consistent. Know. But, yeah, that was like, yo, that hurt. That was, that was whack. You know, and I, I think I had to retreat and find that place yeah. versus, you know. Just moving on. Moving on. I got you. I think that's a very common probably response it that is. people have in life. Like as they're going through certain transitions or changes or difficulties, um, it's kind of like just just press through and they have that press through it's mentality. A, don't get it's to a reflex mechanism, reflect. right? Like why would I deal with pain if I don't have to? It's kind of like, you know, there, there's times where whether it's adrenaline, you don't, you don't mm -hmm. experience pain. There's times where, you know, you have to move on. That moment was an isolated moment that got me more acquainted with myself emotionally. I just knew it was a kind of like a holy moment. Like I said, right, righteous brother, and he loved me. And um, it was the fact that he, I think what was actually happening, you know, we grow up, his love for me. Mm -hmm. like, it was his love for me that really forced me to consider what was actually happening. Right. Because it's kind of like the noise. Like you're, you're, that's one of the good parts about and that being an athlete, you're tr kind of trained to not give attention to people that don't matter, people outside the locker room. It's a good thing to learn in general. So here it is. You're transitioning out the league. And obviously, um, I'd like to ask you, what do you think is the single most impactful thing players can prepare for coming out of the National Football League? The identity component is huge. And I think the only, the, 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 the best part of my transition, transition was I knew who I was. So in relation to what made my transition challenging, it wasn't my identity. I didn't have an identity crisis. I was secure and confident in who I was and what grounded me and what gave me stability. Um, but I do believe that's actually the most, the single most important mm -hmm. because most, the majority of athletes their identity is in what they do. Right. Right. And their worth is tied to what they do. And it's not just financial. It's how they feel about themselves. The celebration, the arenas, even the relationships, they're, mm -hmm. they're situational, right? The locker yes. room, is, it's a conditional relationship. So we feel like we're rich in relationship when we're actually really not. Right. And um, I do say that my injury was very, it, it ended up being a small blessing in disguise because being on IR for a year helped me realize I didn't really have any real friends. Right. Uh, you know, I wasn't obligated to be at work every single day. And I realized, like, man, I'm out of touch. Who? 
and you know, kind of was a little mm-hmm. disconnected from my first church. I'm like, I'm alone. Yeah, I would say too. Like when I think about my experience as well, it the the culture appears transitory. Like you know, people when you see them, it's it's great, it's amazing, but there's really nothing there. Transaction. It's like smoke screens. <laughs> <laughs> No. It's like smoke screens and not, not that anyone's being intentionally like that. It's just no. there in that particular way. So I could see how, was- um, you know, you could feel like, I mean, think about it. I mean, you have, like you said, you're going into a locker room. You're, you know, there's guys, you're, there's coaches, right? But, and then you go into a stadium and there's tons of people. And then you go home and you got tons of family because yeah. of what you're doing. And then when that time comes to an end, it's kind of like, oh, okay, well, where's everybody? <laughs> yeah. So when I consider, you know, just the, the athlete experience, what's most vital to their, you know, mental health Welfare, stability is under having a keen sense of understanding of who they are. And I think who you are has to start with core places of identity, son, husband, father, things that hold more sacred value and and things Mm -hmm. that you will be throughout the course of your life life. um, versus temporal roles and experiences that are more transitory because those things will change. They're meaningful and, and necessary but you can't say that you were born for something that you can't do forever, right? Right. It's like, I think that's my big thing about the athlete experience is that you can't say I was born to do this because you can't do it forever. Mm-hmm. You know, like, you, you, you guarantee, you know, you're, you're going to max out at 40 if you're the best ever, right? Tom just, you know, father time and every scientific mechanism for Tom Brady, <laughs> and he's maxed out at 45, right? So... It's, it's, that, it's that reality. You can't say that you were born. It's not your purpose because you have to live mm-hmm. and move beyond this. It's a unique experience that I would wish upon any, you know, any athlete. But that's the, big, that's the biggest number one space. And so how you do that is investing time and energy in that discovery process mm-hmm. because you know, football is the most powerful surrogate father. It gives you identity. It gives you provision. And it gives you discipline, mm-hmm. right? It gives you these things innately that what, what a father is really supposed to give a man. And um, I think that's the, the beauty and the danger of the sport mm-hmm. because in the game, that's what makes it so unique. Within the game, everything's there. So how important do you think it is to learn another skill? I think it's most vital, right? And I think that's the biggest challenge, especially for the professional athlete. Now, because of the business of college football, it's even more challenging mm-hmm. as well. The demands are greater, the resources. You have NIL t- taking over. So you have to develop other interests early. And I do believe, actually, Gen Z, because of this creator economy, is now more into that. So that's that's, that's actually positive. the positive thing. Yes, there, you know, The business of sport has evolved in such a way where athletes are able, willing, and able to nurture other interests. Businesses around us, so there's finances, there's building teams, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it's happening naturally mm-hmm. because of the evolution, but the skill portion of the athlete is is just important for my era and beyond. I think that's that was the biggest challenge is what am I going to be good at mm-hmm. now that I'm moving out of here at 27 and 30? Mm-hmm. And it's like, I've been the best of the world at this. 
And that's, that's usually the most challenge, you know, that outside of the identity, that's probably the next hurdle to cross. Right. So in light of identity not being an issue for you, what was? That was the biggest issue for me. What am I going to be the best at? What are you going to be the best and, at? And, you know, I didn't develop another skill that I was secure in. Mm-hmm. And I was, I'm, I was always been a natural communicator, very good with people. I had innate leadership skills and values, but leadership is very bland. So if you can't create that and package that properly, mm-hmm. I still struggle with that. I'm like, I'm the bomb. Hey, listen, why y'all not hire me? <laughs> I'm the bomb. I will 10X your company just because I'm great. <laughs> right? So I, there's times where I still struggle because I have a dynamic influence, impact, dynamic story, ways to impact people. Yes. Right? But if you can't package that and communicate that properly, you don't know how to turn that into a product or a service. Mm-hmm. And that was my challenge. So it was just like, well, let's figure it out. Right. And, and that's what made it a little bit of a bumpy road. Um, and, this, and the help. And I think everyone needs help. You need yes. guidance. You need, you know, the world likes to call them, you need mentors. You need people to show you how to get good at something. Excellent. And I, and I think that's really where the true value lies in athletes people want to help them and i think our biggest challenge especially previously was mm-hmm. we were guarded we didn't trust people there were so many stories too many stories about athletes being taken advantage of right so we didn't we didn't have enough and especially within the african-american you know community we didn't have enough successful people within our own trust circle to serve us so then you got you got to believe somebody man like all these 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 wealthy yeah. people they ain't got ain't that much you can offer them other than Autograph and a unique experience. <laughs> right. Right. But also kind of like you were saying in the in the toolbox is the curiosity too. There you go. Like you you have to be interested. You have to go looking for you do. answers. Um asking the proper questions. You do. And you know, giving it that type of attention. Yeah. I was only curious about one thing and that was Jesus. You know, like and I just like if there I have no regrets in that pursuit. But because they serve me holistically as as a person, but in relation to skill building and being in developing true interest that were going to be beneficial to me and serving my family, providing for my family, that's not necessarily what it did. And I couldn't see myself packaging ministry like some people yeah, can yeah, yeah. or do. That just wasn't you know wasn't true to my spirit. Awesome. We're gonna shift to your transition from. Being unsaved <laughs> to being saved. Oh God! Yeah, we unpack you. Now that's a that's called a translation. <laughs> that ain't even called a transition. Woo, 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 that, woo. That's a translation from darkness to light. Woo, woo, woo. <laughs> Y'all trying right? to get dirty over here? We but get- you know, I want I'm, I want to draw from the experience of literally waking up a new person sure. and what that meant for everything else around you. Because now that you have been changed and transformed, what were some of the things you had to deal with, go through, endure because of now you're born of God? Yeah. Just to fast track it, you know, like always, it always starts with the prayer in prison and jail and, and, you know, God, I need you if you allow me to keep my job. I'd appreciate that too. Get get arrested with a half a pound or a pound of purple haze. And that was like the moment. And to fast forward two weeks, there was a few things, namely you telling me you were pregnant with Josiah. Yes. 
that was like not the news we're looking for right now. But correct. And and then fast track, and it was like a little bit of a domino effect that that kind of led me into you know being invited to church, and literally in that breaking moment, in in kind of toward the back of the church, I'm crying, just knowing I need a savior, right? And so twenty after twenty minutes of weeping, I confess. Christ, I never drink again. I never smoke again. I'm completely new. So in understanding your question now, I could not, I was amazed that I could be free. Free from guilt. Free from shame. Free from the bondage. I would have been a slave. I started drinking at 14 years old, consistently, 15, 16, you know, like week, you know, weekend social, college binge drinker. Drank every weekend in college. And I drank, you know, I drank to get drunk. Blackout. Yes, I'm a witness. <laughs> I'm a witness to the darkness and the light. <laughs> so, so, like, when I say, like, it just was, it's like, this is my free time. This is me. This is what I do. And that was tied to my, you know, like, to the fabric. This is what I do. Smoked every day my rookie year because now I had money. So, like, to be free from those mm-hmm. bondages, I was enamored. I was like, yo, y'all bugging. Who was, why didn't y'all tell me about Jesus? Mm-hmm. And it was a living reality for me. And I was going to be pursuing this. And it was like this spiritual high. You were on fire. I was on That's fire. I was, I was blazing. You I was, was purified. You was burning me up. I was, listen, I was telling people, everybody about Jesus with no understanding about Jesus. <laughs> Like, literally, okay? I shared the gospel all the wrong ways <laughs> with pure passion, yes, okay? Excitement. It was great. I told all the hoes that they, listen, man, you, you don't need me. You need Jesus. <laughs> you know, that's your problem. Your problem is you, you think you need a man, but you really need Jesus. I can't. You know? <laughs> they were looking at you like... You know, and even the, even the nice ladies that I was fornicating with, you know, like, listen, you need Jesus. I'm not your answer. But ultimately, it was everything was new. Everything was new. Everything was new. And I literally was just in the state of zeal, pursuit. I wanted to be at the church every single day. Mm-hmm. Um, I just wanted, and, and I was just ascending. Right. You know the next half, because my first month of being a Christian was a war zone. Yes. Well, we're not going to talk about that. Okay, thank you. Okay, we're not going to talk about thank that. Thank you, let's not. That's for another episode. <laughs> another episode, you know. <laughs> That's for another Grab a episode. copy of More Than Just a Catch. It's out there. Right? But there's so many transitions that we yeah, kind of endure in life. And then last but not least, I mean, what was the transition of going from being a boyfriend to a husband? Bam! That was the bomb. That was the bomb. Okay, so one of the, the, the greatest fruits of the... By the way, we actually, David proposed to me twice. You I did. sure did. Once in uh, Eagle Rock, right? College. Yes. What's the name of it? Um, High Long Pavilion. High Long Pavilion. Big shout. We haven't One been back since. <laughs> anyway, go ahead. Listen, I had like $105 What's in funny? cash. You know what? I have this image, <laughs> by the way. I have this image of it right before we left the house. Your mother giving you the cash. Yes. Listen, like, broke as a joke. <laughs> but she's like, you're going to take it to the high lawn. My mom. Yes. I miss I you, mom. I love you. I miss you. You're going to take it to the high lawn pavilion. <laughs> okay. You guys are going to have a wonderful evening. It's going to be tasteful. You guys are doing 
great. Yeah, he said, my mom had this, you know, made for radio voice. <laughs> she really did. And um, so, yeah, like that was one. But the, the greatest joy of becoming a new creation was knowing that I was going to have the opportunity to be the man for you that I couldn't be as a sinner. You know, we broke up. We had like an eight, nine month separation mm -hmm. from her friend finding out all my dirt in college. To I just want y'all to know. Ooh. Putting him on racket. We're talking dirty, dirty. He was nasty. Do you hear me? I was nasty. Dog. And all of the nasty, he transferred to me. I hope you can read the undertones. <laughs> Trust me, it's all in the book, y'all. Listen, all this vulnerability stuff, I'm a pioneer. I just want the world to know. Brene Brown, you need to have me on your stuff and on your show talking about vulnerability. I've been telling it for 19 Listen. years. Go tell it on the mountain. <laughs> No, but really it felt so good to know that I could be the man that I wanted to be. I, I just couldn't be it. I, you know, like even in our little crazy breakup phase, it was just like, I, I didn't enjoy, I never enjoyed hurting people. You know, like I was a nasty dirt dog, but I never enjoyed hurting people. So I was like, listen, the only reason why we weren't back together sooner, because I was like, listen, I just can't guarantee that I will not be a nasty dirt dog. And I hated the period of being separate from my son. So now I could be the husband. I was confident that through Christ, I could be the husband. I could be the father that God had called me to be and ultimately to nurture your heart and bring wholeness to just a healthy life moving forward. So that the, the one revelation that was true was I was going to marry this fine, beautiful you woman. So funny. Now, though, what was it like now? Now you being a husband, now you're responsible yeah. to another person in a different way than a child. It now, was easy. I had love. The problem is we were already shacking. I was already making pork chops, arroz con pollo. Listen, she was, listen, she was born that for was this. That was the problem. So we had already given it a trial run. She was born for this. Dun, you, dun, 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 dun. <laughs> I, picked, I picked well. I chose well. Leala was born to be a wife. She was born to be an excellent mother. She is just a dynamic, get everything so done. You know, her, her nickname is Can't Stop, Won't Stop. Stop. I told you I'm putting that down. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's, it's well. You got to just you wash. Need, well, it need to be need, washed. Yeah. Okay. It's washed. <laughs> she, she, can't Stop, Won't Stop. It had to be washed yes. because she, she was trying to kill herself. <laughs> so... And, that is funny. But, you know, honestly, I had love in my heart. I just, like, he, I was born of God. He was born of God, loves much. So I had love. I didn't know how to do everything, but I did have the virtue of the Holy Spirit, a willing and teachable heart Yes, that was guiding me in the process. And I just, you know, I, I testify open and often to just the grace that God would give me in those early years to just, do what was necessary. It was, you know, living before God, like it was easy because Jesus was a reality. He was near. And, but the transition, I still had a court case to go through. I had to pay. I remember, you know, like this is, these, these be the funny things. I had to, you know, I, I think I remember calling Dwight Freeney for, to, to, cause I, I needed to pay. You know, I, I got, I got uh, arrested with a couple other people. I needed to get one of them a lawyer. You know, it was like other things that we still had to walk yes. through, having the confidence that God would deliver. You know, had just enough money to get a down payment on the house. We still had to walk through life, but having the confidence that, it, you know, that God was with us, 
and he would bring us to the other side. And um, the assurance of faith that, you know, Jesus being our Lord, that he would secure us and bring us to stability. But I was full of love, full of hope, full of faith. Excellent. Well, we want to thank you for being here, for tuning in. Hey. I, you know, the truth is we are right now in the middle of a transition. Yes, we are. We are. We, we have been through plenty more transitions, but <laughs> we are literally in the, in the middle of a transition and it's exciting. It is. It is. Somewhere deep down, there is some excitement attached to this particular transition. <laughs> we call this the basement season. Yeah. <laughs> the basement but, season. But it's going to be good because yeah. they always, it always turns out well. It does. It always turns out well. So I want to thank you for tuning in. Remember, we're going through that journey. We're going through the process mm-hmm. and even a few pain points. But it's getting us to that next moment. I love it. You're the host. I love you. You're the host. I don't want no smoke. I love you. Keep going. He's a transition king, guys. He's a transition king. If you want him to speak at your company, at your school, at your camp, at whatever it is, he can help you. I'm the man. (laughs) Appreciate y'all.